Welcome to Bytes.zar podcast, brought to you by the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, creating an enabling environment for the provision of inclusive communication services to all South Africans. Greetings to you, wherever you're listening from, and a very warm welcome to this very first episode of our Bytes.za podcast, your very first government-led podcast brought to you by the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. This will be our safe space as we shine the spotlight on a wide range of issues relating to ICTs and digital technologies. We'll also afford you an opportunity to have an objective overview and analysis as we unpack the business of the day. So feel free to engage us across all departmental digital platforms from our Twitter at ComsZar to Facebook and Instagram under the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. My name is Sipiwan Zawumbi, the DCDT spokesperson. Welcome. In today's episode, we shine the spotlights on 5G technologies, the draft white, white paper on audio, 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 an audiovisual policy, and get an update on the digital migration analog switch-off happening in your community. community, community. Now, to kickstart this episode, we put the spotlight on 5G technologies. You will recall that in her budget vote this year, Minister of Communications and Digital Technologies, Stella Ndabini Abrahams, announced that 27 billion rands had been pledged by operators and vendors to usher in 5G technologies, or 5G fiber technologies, rather, in South Africa. Now, this didn't come long after mobile giant MTN launched 105G sites around the country. This, of course, includes Johannesburg, Cape Town, Bloemfontein and Kabecha. Now, joining us in our discussion is Chief Executive Officer of Digital Council Africa, Ms. Joanita Clark, who's definitely aligned to the opinion that South Africa is 5G ready. In the July issue of Bytes.za, she eloquently talks about the digital disruption that will be caused by 5G technologies and its great benefit to the job market. Juanita, thank you so much for making time to be with us and uh, welcome to Bytes.za. Good morning, Sophia. It's a great pleasure to be with you today and thank you so much for the invitation. Hmm. Now, given the number of theories and studies on 5G, one could easily make an assumption that we all know what is being spoken of, which is not true. Perhaps the leading question asked by many is how different is 5G from different of the previous uh, mobile generations? Well, 5G... um promises to start with, 5G promises to connect approximately 1 million devices per square kilometer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can imagine that is, um, you know, heavily reliant on extreme low latency, high throughput networks. Um, Now, a lot of people will say, well, we don't have 1 million people per square kilometer. But but when we talk about the connectivity that 5G promises, um, we're not just talking about human connectivity. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a connected world, so a truly connected world. So anything from um, home security to remotely opening your front door to monitoring your water consumption to um, looking at what's inside your fridge. And, um, and then ultimately there's, um, there's, there's greater futuristic technologies that, um, uh, you know, things like autonomous vehicles that mm-hmm. will um, heavily rely on um, low latency throughput networks. You can imagine you you don't want to be driving in a self-driving car somewhere and it loses signal mm-hmm. or it's buffering. So um, so that could be a, a, a massive problem. So 
5G is the ultimate of connectivity or, well, at least the next generation. And we know that globally they're already talking about 6G mm-hmm. and even as far as 10G. But certainly for South Africa, you know, our uh, great aims right now and the mobile operators' great missions will be to deliver uh, the next generation mobile network, mm. um, which is 5G. All right. Well, many people might say that uh, the automation that will come with 5G will decimate jobs. Uh, Yet, when I read your article, you say that 5G will be the net creator of jobs. How do you see this happening? So, we know that, you know, when we speak about 5G and its possibilities, that um, automation um, and math automation is definitely something uh, that will exponentially increase. And we know that automation will further, uh, you know, ensure that there's, there's great job losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we look at the densification, but, but having said that, we've also got to accept that 5G will potentially create jobs. And there's a couple of ways that it will do that. So like with, you know, other industrial revolutions, you know, few people know that, but some of the previous industrial revolutions were creators of jobs. And as with... Um, all industries, you know, we can expect that there's going to be a massive reskilling requirement, but we know that there will be a potential um, creation of direct and indirect jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to 5G, there's a couple of things that will happen. So firstly, and most importantly, there will be the physical deployment of networks. So mm-hmm. a lot of the 5G networks don't exist yet. Um, and in order for those networks to, be, um, to become a reality, we have to physically deploy it. Um, and what many people don't know about 5G is that um, 5G is no longer really a wireless network. So 5G is actually a wired network. Mm-hmm. 5G heavily relies on 5G. Uh, uh, sorry, on fiber. And of course, we have to still get a lot of this fiber um, in place. So mm-hmm. we estimate that the next generation mobile technology will need at least six to eight times the amount of fiber that, we, that we've currently got if we're going to meet the required speed that 5G mm-hmm. promises. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. therefore, you know, it's safe to assume that the, the job deficit must also be multiplied by a similar model um, and that we could potentially, you know, create at least six times the amount of job that the fiber sector has created. But more than that, so, you know, there's the physical infrastructure that needs to be deployed and created. And then, of course, we need to upgrade existing um, tower infrastructure. Um, and 5G will require a lot of, um, you know, antennas to be deployed. But in combination with this high-speed infrastructure, um, we know that we are now also on a global scale talking about real artificial intelligence. Um, and this is estimated to, um, to, to remove some jobs. So we think that we will lose approximately 1.8 million jobs globally. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that we expect that approximately 2.3 million jobs will be created globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in the following five years to 20, about well, four years to 2025. Um, we also expect an additional two million jobs to be uh, of that to be created. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but what's important is that um, you know we need to start with the foundational work. We need to start building the network, and then of course a lot of the potential jobs is going to be about maintaining of the network, and thousands and thousands of jobs will be 
created to the physical building of the infrastructure. Mm. All right. You speak so eloquently about the potential job opportunities, but surely one can't help but wonder which sectors are going to be affected by this uh, digital disruption. Given the theories that have been around 5G, a lot of conspiracy theories and, of course, studies around it. But surely in a country like South Africa, where job lossness uh, or or joblessness is is, is quite vast um, each and every year when we get uh, statistics, um, the number is quite high. You know, so one want to know would want to know. Is my sector affected? Uh, am I going to be next in line? Am I going to be part of that 1.5 uh, uh, million jo- uh, jobs that will be lost? Or am I one of those people perhaps who might have to upskill and then benefit in the new revolution? So to answer that, I think, you know, we've already seen this since the onset of the pandemic and, and being in the heart of the five, uh, the third wave right now, I think, you know, we're all, we are all participants in sort of the decimation of some of the jobs. So if you look at the retail sector, mm-hmm. um, most of us have sort of moved towards online shopping. Um, you know, so I think that's an area that, you know, um, that that we can be, should be concerned about. I think, um, you know, although the e-commerce sector is also creating, of course, thousands of, of jobs by itself, mm-hmm. um, companies are taking on big warehouse space, they're employing a lot of people. We know that uh, drivers are heavily in demand. Mm. Um, and of course, here again, we've got to look at the spin-off that this has. So, you know, when we're going to put more vehicles on the road, we need to make sure that our road infrastructure can um, can cope and accommodate. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are thinking of futuristic ways of delivering parcels and things. Uh, through drone technology, etc., and and you'll you'll of course being in the department will know that recently the minister launched the drone council. So there's exciting things happening, and and although most people think it's very futuristic, it's actually already the discussions are being had, and 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 it's closer than what we suspect it will be. Mm. Another area that I think is going to um, um, like see quite a, a lot of destruction is of course in in agri. So we know that agriculturally, um, and this is also, you know, it's not a new, um, it's, an, it's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. You know, over mm-hmm. years, over the last um, many years, we've already seen how farmers have started getting in a thing like a harvester, where historically, you know, it was people that were that were doing all the harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been this slow progression, and it's almost, you know, that nobody noticed. But I think the first Industrial Revolution is going to exponentially accelerate um, the rate at which we um, are adopting and accepting and how agri is going to transform. And uh, we're seeing a lot of hydroponics um, coming out, uh, smaller scale farming, etc. Other industries like manufacturing, there we have already seen mass automation and I think that's going to increase. Um, And, 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 you know, we can expect that to... um, change. Mm. Having said that, somebody needs to build the machines that are responsible for the automation. So when it's a machine that's going to um, to do the manufacturing part, there's still somebody that has to make that machine and build that machine. Um, and um, I think, you know, there's several other sectors. Uh, we're concerned about the tourism sector. We're already seeing bots answering more questions, um, you know, than, than people. We know that suddenly we don't need keys anymore, um, you know, and that you can now open, you can self-check in in some of the hotels in the world. You can 
open your room via um, a QR code that's sent to your phone, um, and that QR code gives you access to gyms and things. And there's less and less people um, that we're seeing around um, in in the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's critical here and what's going to be really important is that we find ways of refilling um, the people. Mm. Let's get into the economy, Juanita, uh, when we're looking at uh, 5G and, of course, the revolution, as, you, as you've said, articulated it quite well that uh, it's, it's really going to shake the can when it comes to technology. But what about the economy? Um, many people have written opinion pieces saying um, the 5G economy uh, is really going to be quite tricky for economies like South Africa. What's your view on this? I think to answer this, I think we have to start by asking the right question. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important is that we need to um, look at what sectors are most threatened by digital transformation or automation. Um, and then, of course, we need to understand what those job, job losses are likely to look like. So what are the amount of jobs that we expect those sectors to lose? And then, of course, we need to understand how 5G will impact sectors and what jobs we can create in those sectors. So on the one hand, we're going to consider our losses, but on the other hand, we need to look at what potential jobs can we create from that sector. And that's important because those skills probably don't exist yet. So we need to then focus on reskilling. What's also important is that we understand around where those job losses will take place. Mm. So is it going to be in traditional urban cities like Joburg, Cape Town or Durban? Um, and or, or can it create new opportunities um, geographically across the nation? Um, you know, we're also, uh, you know, writing a lot and we're busy with a big research piece on, on the work from home phenomena and trying to understand whether it's here to stay or whether it's, you know, something that's just a temporary bad that will ultimately disappear when COVID disappears. Um, But what's really important is about the opportunities that we can create in rural areas. So if we can allow people to move back to smaller towns, can we take some of the potential job opportunities and push it back to rejuvenate some of our smaller municipalities, allow people to leave the biggest cities, you know, it's good for the environment, it's good for urbanization, remove some of the pressure. Um, and these are all very important questions that we, um, that we need to ask. We need to understand whether we can capitalize on these jobs. We need to understand whether our education ecosystem is geared towards creating the future jobs and whether we should revisit what we're doing, uh, you know, who we're teaching, where we're teaching, and what we're teaching. Um, and we need to ask ourselves whether we'll be able to use this technology to create the digital Africa, um, you know, that, that we think, that we're hoping to achieve. Mm. But also very, I think the most important thing that we have to talk about in this whole equation is whether we need to provide training to ensure that workers can meet the opportunity. And it comes back to the conversation of reskilling. Um, and I think it, it culminates into a single question, and that is, do we have a clear strategy across all sectors that can speak to the above questions? And, and do we have a plan to address the reskilling that we may need? 
right, Juanita, before we let you know, uh, let you go, um, you, you spoke about the acceleration of the 5G economy. And uh, what I picked is perhaps you were saying what will assist, especially our economy in South Africa, is a collaboration of efforts and planning across all sectors. But how do you think, or perhaps just on a micro level, how do you see this being practical or perhaps being practiced in South Africa? So I think we need to create an enabling environment. So there's a lot of very good initiatives that's already on the go. We know that uh, the DCDT recently, or well, actually last year, um, announced the rapid accelerant policy. We know that uh, they were overwhelmed by the amount of responses that they received, um, mainly because the policy was misunderstood and read uh, out of context. But and, and it's unfortunate because it's holding back, you know, the economy and, and the pace at which operators are are willing to invest. So we definitely need a rapid deployment policy. We need clear guidelines as to the pace at which we can um, deploy infrastructure. That in turn, obviously, any clear regulatory environment uh, stimulates investment. So um, you know, we know that a lot of operators are ready to heavily invest. But, you know, in the sector, but we need some clarity. Of course, there's a spectrum issue, which we also know is imminent. Um, you know, we're very happy and, and uh, to, to believe and agree that finally uh, that's very close. And as well as the rapid deployment policy. And I think, you know, those two policies combined are, are bound to set us on a very positive trajectory to get the right investment, to deploy the infrastructure um, and, of course, then we just need some municipal buy-in. So there's a bit of education that needs to happen uh, at municipal level around um, understanding the broadband economy um, and how that can benefit communities. And um, But, yeah, we're, we're um, always happy to help in any way that we can. Mm. So if we are to talk about the economy and the post-COVID economy is referred to uh, by many, we can't leave out township economies and growth opportunities for them too. Yeah, so there's a lot of excitement um, around the township economy. Um, there's a lot of work that, have, that, that is being done. Um, we know that industry associations like the PESA um, have, together with the, you know some support from the Digital Council, have uh, managed to already place 20 uh, young people in jobs in the township economy. But um, also Harting Provincial Government is doing a lot around trying to remove barriers to entry and invite um, operators to deploy fiber into the township economy. So it's such a critical component because I think the one thing that we've understood from the COVID pandemic is it's highlighted the digital divide. Mm. Um, and of course, it's a, it's a grave concern. And again, now we've seen that schools have to be shut. We can accept that as, as it is globally, uh, we've got a long way to go until we've got a, a full handle on this pandemic. So it's, it's here to say, what we need to do and what we have to ensure we get right now is that we take everybody on this journey into the digital economy mm. because we can't afford to leave anybody behind. For mm. me, this is one of the, the single biggest risks that we face as a country is the increase in the, in the, digital, um, in the digital divide. Mm. Um, we know that with um, last, last year with the, the first lockdown, uh, there were approximately six and a half million children that were without access to uh, education. Mm. Um, so, and, and these are these are some of the, the numbers that we have to discuss. Um, it's hard conversations, it's difficult conversations because the answer doesn't just lie in front of us. The answer will come from, uh, you know, very uh, crystal clear public and private participation. 
um, you know, we've got to take hands. This is not a government problem. It's everybody's problem. Um, but we need to understand why private sector is slow to deploy into lower income areas. What is it that we can do to make it better? How do we solve these problems? Um, and then how do we build sustainable uh, network into the township uh, economy? Mm. So we've got a very good understanding of, of what some of the issues are. And, and in fairness, they're complex issues. You know, they're they complex issues that need to be discussed. It's uh, about economies of scale um, and adoption rates. Um, but I think that, you know, we can find the solution. Uh, we, we're struggling to um, get adoption from municipalities on alternative deployment methodologies. So, for instance, um, municipalities are, are slow to approve the planting of poles in lower income areas. Mm. But, of course, we've got a way up a community's right for decent connectivity mm. versus what we believe to be aesthetically pleasing. You know, if the business case does not stack up because we have to trench fiber, we need to look at of, of other ways that we can do it. And the risk is that if we don't, 5G as a tech will only again enable those that have. And those that don't have, again, will be left behind. But if we can get the fiber in place and the backhaul infrastructure exists, then of course we will, um, you know, we'll be able to in, in, employ and um, create jobs in, in townships by participation through the local communities. Um, and then of course the spin-off jobs that uh, access to uh, digital, high-speed digital infrastructure will have. Hmm. Jonita, thank you so much for making time and uh, truly an insightful conversation. And we're looking forward to reading that piece you wrote for Bytes.za, um, our newsletter, and, and just seeing you being a part of these dialogues going forward. Thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome to be and all the best. All right. Ms. Juanita Cluck, Chief Executive Officer of Digital Council Africa. And of course, you can get her article on 5G and job opportunities on the Bytes.za July issue newsletter. Passionate about radio. Well, Nimisa is here to shape your voice, creativity and production skills. Go to www.nimisa.co.za. Or email info at nemisa.co.za, the National Electronic Media Institute of South Africa. Nemisa, let's go digital. Now, let's get into some of the topical policies in the sector. On the 9th of October 2020, the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies published a draft white paper on audio and audiovisual content in Government Gazette number 43797 and since received a number of written submissions from interested parties. The draft white paper intends to modernize the South African broadcasting landscape by reviewing the current policies. White paper on broadcasting 1998 and policy captured in subsequent legislations, which have proven to be inadequate in this rapid, technologically changing world, with a purpose to reposition and grow the sector for the new environment and attract investment. With a number of requests received from stakeholders asking for a deadline extension for their submissions, Minister Stellan Dabini Abraham 
exams, then extended the deadline from the 30th of November 2020 to the 15th of February 2021. The common thread, of course, issue or one of the issues raised by the stakeholders include licensing framework, the digital media literacy, the funding across the audio and audiovisual content industry, and the skills development, of course, not leaving the SABC TV license framework. With a number of stakeholders consulted spanning from academia, video on demand, video sharing platforms, VSPs, broadcasters, free to air and subscription, regulators, press associations, two sports associations. South Africa is definitely looking forward to this evolution of policy. 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 Now, joining us to unpack this draft policy is Ms. Ndombi Makwetu, Acting Chief Director in Broadcasting Policy under the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. Ms. Makwetu, thank you so much for your time and welcome. Thank you so, so much, Stitch, for having me. I also want to greet your listeners as well. Thank you very much. Hmm. So I suppose when you're talking about the audio and audiovisual draft policy or the white paper for that matter, uh, ordinary South Africans would like to know, how will this impact or change their ordinary lives? Thank you so, so much, Stitch, for that question. Now, when it comes to ordinary South Africans, Stitch, I'm just going to make an example. For mm-hmm. an example, if you are a user, you are not happy with your service provider or you have a complaint, for an example, against any multinational company, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to um, name any company because most of them, especially the multinationals, they don't have physical uh, offices in South Africa. So once the draft white paper becomes legislation, anyone can lodge um, a claim with ICASA, which is the Telecoms and Communications Regulator of South Africa, mm-hmm. um, with what, uh, this is what the draft white paper is proposing to say, as an ordinary South African, you now have, you will have a, a leeway or you have a, a process that you can be able to follow if you want to take up um, any complaint that you have with any company that is anywhere in the world, not necessarily in South Africa. So that, 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 that's the main um, mm. issue uh, that we're trying to address when it comes to ordinary South Africans. In addition speech, you will recall that the South African broadcasters in South Africa are heavily regulated mm. with respect, to, for an example, to ensure that they're able to produce local content and they also have responsibilities when it comes to issues around editorialship. So it's imperative that we level the playing field as government. Mm. That's the main, 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 main reason why we are reviewing the, the white paper. Mm. So one of the issues that have been raised by the draft white paper is uh, the digital media literacy. Uh, why do you feel it's important uh, to, to, to then have this aspect uh, in the policy or to address the issue of digi- digital media literacy? So, speech, as you can see, within the ICT space in general, um, users are sometimes faced with unintended consequences of the online environment. And similarly, in the area of audiovisual, mm. there are issues such as, you know, fake news, issues around user rights. So it's critical that users are quite aware of the pitfalls in the realm of audio and audiovisual um, industry, including the digital media in, in general, uh, speech. Okay, uh, but but just judging because the, the the department has been conducting quite a lot of uh, these public hearings, it's quite clear that some of the VODs and VSPs are not aligned with the objectives of the draft white paper. How will you be able to reach uh, a common ground uh, with such parties? Yeah, you see, speech with any other process where people have not or are not used to it, 
it's quite difficult to attempt to comply. Um, take the example of Films and Publications Amendment Act. Online companies within that act uh, were not really accustomed to being under regulation. Mm. And it was quite difficult at the beginning. But the situation has now changed. They have subjected themselves to the Films and Publications regulations. I just want to quote speech uh, Tata Mandela. He once said, it seems impossible until it's done. So really, with this uh, review of the white paper, we're not a unique case. In other jurisdictions, um, uh, in the policy and, and, and language, uh, um, and regulatory language, that's what I'm saying, jurisdiction or countries, they are also updating their regulatory frameworks to ensure that the video-on-demand uh, service providers and your video, sh- video sharing platforms, including the online companies that are providing audiovisual content, are placed under regulatory framework. Mm. And of course, relevant regulators uh, as per respective countries are assigned this responsibility. I'm trying to illustrate a speech that what we're trying to do is really not unique Mm. to South Africa. Like I've made an example about Films and Publications Amendment Act. It was not easy at the beginning, but I guess the companies are now uh, starting to see the importance and the relevance of having this act in place, similarly with this white paper. Once it's finalized, they will they will they will see the benefits uh, to them as companies, but also to the public in general. Hmm. But within the proposals of the draft white paper, specifically on the thresholds um, for individual and class licenses, some stakeholders raised their concerns on the proposals of the draft white paper on this matter. Uh, can you just give us a bit of uh, clarity, especially for general South Africans, perhaps, who might have taken a side in this argument and it might not have the actual facts around the matter? Precisely, speech. Um, this, let me start by saying, uh, the introduction of the thresholds in the draft white paper uh, speech is really to ensure that companies doing business in South Africa can contribute towards the socio-economic development of the country, including the transformation agenda, which you might know that it's quite an important aspect mm. when it comes to us as a country, but also to ensure that we support the SMMEs. So really, it is premised on the fact that as they extract revenue, it's only fair that they plow back to the country. So when you get a license to operate from ICASA, you are given conditions uh, that those conditions are actually determined by ICASA. But in the main, those conditions are meant to safeguard the country and its people in general. Mm. There have also been media reports uh, that the draft white paper is proposing that uh, competitors of the SABC, including VODs, uh, will collect license fees on behalf of the SABC. Is this true? First of all, speech, what the draft white paper is advocating really is to ensure that as a nation, we need a viable and sustainable uh, SABC that is able to service its public remit or mandate to all South Africans. And as you will know, South Africa has high evasion rates when it comes to payment of licenses, mm-hmm. which is really the bread and butter of the SABC to discharge its public mandate. So therefore, in the draft white paper, really, I must clarify this speech. There is no proposal that the competitors of the SAPC will collect license fees on its behalf. What the draft white paper is proposing is to explore various mechanisms to collect the license fees of the SAPC, really to ensure that it's viable. And and so far, there is really um, uh, no decision on this approach. It's, we, you know, we in the draft paper, we're saying, what, beca- what can become the best mechanism to ensure that 
uh, license fees are collected for the SAPC. Like mm-hmm. I said, speech to ensure that the SAPC is quite viable. And speech, what has been ventilated though, is really to change the TV license fee to household fee. And it seems there is really an appetite on this approach as all South Africans are to contribute to the sustainability of the SAPC because I guess the the stigma has been around linking the TV license into a device uh, such as as a television. Mm -hmm. So we're moving, we're trying to move away from that. That's what is being proposed in the draft paper to say, change the TV license to a household fee so that all South Africans can understand the importance of us having to make sure that the SAPC is is, is viable. Mm. Sp- and, sp- mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, you might, you, might, you might proceed. You might proceed. Okay. No, what I wanted to speak is that, however, on the collection approaches, like I said, really the verdict is still out there mm. and that will await for the finalization of the draft white paper. All right. Speaking of appetites, uh, one of the proposals of the draft white paper is uh, for VODs to contribute 30% of their South African catalogs to South African local content. It seems as if, you know, just judging by the responses in the public hearings, that there is no appetite whatsoever for this. What's the rationale behind this proposal? So the draft white paper speech clearly states that this must be done and it will be done in a graduated or in a yes in a, in a graduated or incremental incremental manner and really this is another, another way of ensuring that the south african creative industries benefit from the multinationals operating in south africa in the form as we were hoping in the form of them using south african talent uh, using south african locations when they shoot and other supporting services and of course the department uh, speech is, is open really to other proposals that will arrive at ensuring that the South African industries do benefit really from the multinationals that are operating in, 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 on our shows mm. or in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we can't have this conversation without talking about skills development. You know, it's a key component um, of ensuring effective participation in the audio and audiovisual sector. Uh, given the high levels of unemployment, particularly in South Africa, how do you plan to address um, that the requisite skills are available in the industry, especially with the impact of the fourth industrial revolution um, uh, upon us? You know, speech, that's a, that's a very important question, by the way. What we, we're planning or what we're proposing in the white paper is that government will work with key skills partners across the spectrum to develop um, a skills system that is geared towards uh, supporting the digital media economy and really to ensure that we develop human capital that will be able to meet the existing as well as the future needs as we would know that there is now a buzzword of 4IR. Uh, so we need to ensure that within the audiovisual sector they are able to participate mm-hmm. within the 4IR realm and really to help the SMMEs to increase productivity and reach new markets. All right. Now, looking beyond uh, the process of public hearings, which I assume uh, you are almost uh, about to conclude, um, I know just to mention the likes of uh, your Google, your Facebook uh, have been consulted. What's the way forward? So, speech, we, we, I think it's important that we, we, we need to remind uh, South, South Africans that this is not really a new process. Mm-hmm. Um, it was done uh, as part of a bigger process undertaken by the department more than four years ago. And at the time, it was the entire overhaul of the ICT industry legislation. And maybe your listeners would, might recall that it was called the ICT Policy Review. 
and it, it had a component focusing on the audio and audiovisual content. Now, you would recall that there was a, a split around 2015 of the Department of Telecoms uh, and Postal Services. Mm-hmm. And then there was a department, a new department called the Department of Communication. So this component of the audio and audiovisual was then transferred to the new department. Hence, there was a delay really in the finalization of the audiovisual component. So even at that time um, of the broader ICT policy review, extensive consultation had taken place as speech. Mm-hmm. So indeed, we do wish to conclude this process in NS without really compromising the, 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 the principles of promotion of administrative uh, justice uh, act processes. And we need to ensure that we don't deny the stakeholders an opportunity to engage with the process. And I do want to remind um, your listeners' uh, speech that the last legislation governing the industry was the Broadcasting Act of 1999, and there have been really significant developments in the industry today. And therefore, the, the legislation do need to respond to the new changes. And this is long overdue speech. I think if it, it was, according to us, we would really want to conclude this process as soon as we can. Um, and I say, as I said, uh, speech, we also don't want to, you know, leave the South Africans um, behind when we conclude this process. But what we want to emphasize is that we do need to really conclude it in mm. NS because the industry needs it. Mm. Thank you so much. O- on consultations, how many stakeholders are now left before we let you go? Um, I, I know there's been quite a number, I think over 25 perhaps that um, you have now consulted with. Uh, how many more to go uh, before we finalize the process? Um, precisely, speech, we had more than 25 uh, stakeholders. We are actually done with the formal con- public hearings. We concluded them on the 23rd of, of June. However, we also realized that the the sector that is focusing on disability, uh, gender, and youth, mm. we have not really engaged with them. So we have opened the window where we can be able to engage with them, just to ensure that we take you know their their proposals on board, because they are also impacted by the white paper. All right. Thank you so much, Ms. McQuay, too, uh, for that insightful uh, information. And hopefully uh, South Africans will then get to, to be a part of the process going forward. And uh, perhaps it's going to spark some interest also to ordinary people. Because at times uh, when you hear of these policies, I'm sure people then wonder, how does it affect me? Uh, but given the context that you've given us in this interview, um, definitely there's going to be some light there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Speech, uh, for having me. All right, Ms. Ndombi Makwetu, Acting Chief Director in Broadcasting Policy under the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, just giving us some light there on the audio and audiovisual draft white paper. Bytes.za, your first government podcast, brought to you by the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. In his State of the Nation address in February this year, President Cyril Ramaphosa said he expected the digital migration analog switch off to be concluded by March 2022. The importance of concluding the migration, of course, relates to the release of the valuable spectrum that will be utilized for faster and widely available broadband and data connectivity. 
In the long run, um, it is expected to bring data prices down and increase network availability in the whole country. Currently, a challenge particularly in the rural areas. Household migration is um, central to the digital migration process and implementation and is conducted in a phased provincial sequence by the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. Now, since March 2021 to date, 82 analog transmitters have been switched off in the State, Northern Cape, Northwest Mbumalanga, and Limbopo province. Updates. Updates. Now, joining us to give us an update on the tower switch-offs set to take place countrywide by March 2022 is Chief Director Technologies in the DTT PMO under the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, Wanda Langamandla. Mr. Langamandla, grateful to have you and a good day to you. Hi, good day and thanks for having me. Mm. Now, when we're looking at the digital migration switch-off, especially the tower, the transmitter switch-off that's been happening countrywide, where are we currently? So, as you've rightly mentioned, we are going through the switch-off in a phased provincial uh, sequence uh, in order to try and control the circumstances and ensure that we, we do not disrupt you know, the, the citizens. So, mm-hmm. we, are, we, have, we have just reached the, the 95% uh, finish uh, uh, in terms of the transmitters in the, in the free state. Uh, we only left at one transmitter there. But currently we are doing work in the Northern Cape, the Northwest, Limpopo, and Pumalanga provinces uh, as, as focused towards the, the analog switch-off. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, just, just to give a quick uh, uh, update on those uh, provinces I've just mentioned. As I mentioned, in the free state, it's 95% of the progress done, and then followed by the Northern Cape with about 76%, uh, which is going to change by the end of this week because we, we're going to add, I think, a three more that we're going to be switched off in the, in the, northern, the northern Cape. Um, and then we followed then by the Northwest, which we have 46% um, uh, completion, uh, where we have now switched off uh, 12 out of 26 uh, sites. Mm-hmm. And then we can go to province, we, where we have just switched off 14 out of 26. In fact, uh, for the Bopo and the Northwest, we are going to add, I think, three more in, in combination to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To decide, and then lastly, of course, then is the Pumalanga province where we have uh, switched nine out of nineteen, which represent about forty-seven percent of the progress. Hmm. So those are the, those are the provinces we are currently active in uh, in terms of the analog switch off. All right. Given that this is a multi-stakeholder rollout and a program that's been running for years, and of course we have seen court cases, some of the stakeholders, of course, are saying that they are not aligned uh, with some of the pronouncements of, or perhaps the direction of the department. You would mention also entities of the department, the likes of USASA, Sentech Post Office, the SABC, and so on. Where are you currently in terms of that stakeholder engagement and relationship in making sure that you meet the deadline, which is March 2022? So, program is, um, you know, the department is, is really the, the main uh, custodian or the main project sponsor, the project manager of mm-hmm. this entire uh, environment. The actual implementation is done for us, you know, by the state-owned entities that you've just mentioned, USASA, Centec, as well as the post office, uh, and also not forgetting about the SAPC. So we are working very closely with this uh, closed family of the, the entities under the, the mandate of the department, and uh, we are working very, very well. We know with a few little misalignments here and there, but that mm-hmm. we are keep on picking up and, and correcting. We just have uh, just an, uh, one of the stakeholders which is um, not necessarily in the government's table, mm-hmm. but however, 
present in the free-to-air environment, and we are encouraging talks with them to bring them on board to work with us to ensure that we, you know, they also switch off as we as we proceed with these uh, sequences that I've just outlined. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, the, the talks are going very well. There are some recommendations that they are also bringing to us to try and enhance in the way we are progressing with the with the program. So it is encouraging, and I, I can just conclude it with that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Now, given that uh, Suntech is responsible for installations, uh, there has been a uh, debate on installations, who gets to qualify, who gets to be uh, part of uh, the players. Uh, and of course, there are so uh, those SMMEs, perhaps, that would want to be on board and be one of the installation uh, install, installers. rather. Where can one register to be an installer, especially you know, given the subsidy installations uh, that now is quite topical around uh, BDM? Yes, that's a very good question because that's one of our biggest areas where we find ourselves having some problems sometimes in mm. some areas. What actually happens is that as a first point of departure, the, all the installations are done, it is a directing, as a matter of fact, that all the installations must be, must be done by local installers. Mm-hmm. Now, to that effect, what Centex does, Centex advertises through the government bulletin or through the, you know, the normal process, you know, government processes, they actually advertise uh, these tenders in the respective areas. In all these provinces that I've mentioned, there's, there's been a, a number of rounds of, um, of these adverts. What we have found, I must just maybe emphasize this, what we have found is that we have a big, sometimes pool of uh, available ability to do the installations in these areas under target, mm. but the problem becomes the actual business status of these installers. And a number of them are not necessarily registered so in the in the in the uh, uh, treasury uh, CSI. They, you know, we we know that government procurement happens through uh, regularized processes you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, to ensure that uh, we adhere to the PFMA. So, if you are a service provider, you must be registered in the central database of treasury. You must be registered business. All those kind of uh, you know business matters need to to be in, in order. What we typically find is that a number of Truly capable installers do not have these uh, business, uh, you know, requirements in place, and as a result, they, you know, unfortunately get disqualified or get to be uh, subcontracted by other companies mm. to, to work under them. And as a result, you know, they get shortchanged. I mean, you would expect that if you if you were not now in full control, you would not get all the what, what is due to you. So that those, those are the problems that we, we find in most of these municipalities. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just, just to uh, to sum it up then, is that it gets, the, the tenders do get advertised and they, they, there's various um, iterations of the tenders. In fact, we found that in some places we do advertise, we get very, very little responses and then advertise again and maybe by the second set uh, occasion, they, they, you know, they are um, a, a suitable responses that, that get on board. And, and, and in in areas where we don't get these uh, responses in, in the numbers that, in the numbers that we want, we are forced to to augment with uh, people from the same province, but not necessarily from the same um, area. Mm. You know, it, it sometimes lead us to to this kind of uh, a little discord within the community. Mm. But mm. It, it is important for for the installers to be, to be registered to to register their businesses to be in the central database of national treasury so that they can get the opportunity to be you know to be high up in the list in terms of being allocated to work. Hmm. 
All right. Now, now, given that the, 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 the program has been running for years, and of course, uh, there have been a couple of uh, delays and the department has come forward to, to acknowledge some of, of those delays. And of course, attributing them to some of those external factors you made mention to. Surely there's somebody who's listening right now who's saying, I registered a long time ago, but have not received any installation. When will my decoder be installed? Those are the typical, very common inquiries we get, you know, particularly from the call center mm. perspective. So what has happened is that maybe a number of the callers or households will, will remember that there was the first round of installation from around 2016, spending for two years, I think, to around 2018, thereabouts, at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Now, a number of these households uh, were registered during that period, but however, did not get that opportunity to be, to be connected at that time. Mm-hmm. Those are the typically the ones that we do get those inquiries from. So what has now happened because we had those, we had a problematic phase, you know, in that first phase of the installation. We then appointed Centec now to uh, to resume these installations uh, as of this year, as of uh, September, in fact, it started around October 2020, mm-hmm. to now resume these installations. So we find that there's a big backlog then from those households who had registered as far back as 2016, as I mentioned, 2016, 2017, 2018, thereabouts, who are now only now getting the installation being done uh, in their household. All right. So it is happening. Uh, it's a question of where the, the household is and where the, the program is currently uh, rolling out in terms of the, the, the this current phase of installation in accordance, uh, of course, then with the provincial request that I've mentioned. So most of the work is currently, uh, a large concentration of the work currently is in the Northern Cape, Northwest, Limpopo, and Pumana. In the first stage, there is still some work going on, although we have switched off, but there is still a bit of work happening in there. Uh, but the, the first state has raised a very, very critical mass of uh, mm-hmm. backlogs and that that, 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 that is, has now been addressed. And then when we go further down to the other provinces like the Eastern Cape, Guazulu Natal, Western Cape and Gauteng, we know that there are also households that have also registered in there. But um, as mentioned then, because these provinces, unfortunately, they still up a bit further down in terms of the timeline on the planning on, on the actual installation work to be done there, they will unfortunately, you know, be attended to uh, according to the project plan that is in place uh, towards the closer in, to, towards the end of the second mm-hmm. half into the towards the end of the year. All right. Let, let's quickly get into the qualification criteria. And of course, the post office being quite central uh, when we're talking about the digital migration program, who gets to qualify, are questions that are usually asked, where people register, where can they get their set-up box, what do they need to bring? You know, information like that is information you often take for granted that citizens know um, and, and, and they know where to access uh, such such information or resource. Yes. So, in order to qualify for the government decoder subsidy, you, uh, your, you and your household need to have a combined maximum income of 3,200 rand. Mm-hmm. That is one household maximum combined. Or the head of the household be the government grant recipient, be it an old age grant or any of those categories. And then also what is also required then is obviously the proof to uh, parameters of just mentioned. In line with that, the very first and important element is that the Applicant must be a South African citizen. The, the, the subsidy is only for South African uh, households. Mm-hmm. Also, then to you must then obviously bring your your ID card or your green ID book as proof to to that effect. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. the other requirement is uh, that you bring um, a, a proof of that income. If you don't have a proof of income, you can also bring an affidavit to the fact that you are not employed. Uh, that the affidavit must be uh, signed off, and uh, you know in the 
by, by the relevant commission, commissioners of all. Could be the post office, it could be the police station, it could be the local tribal council, what is it, but those um, particularly in the villages where there is still that kind of environment. For example, a chief or somebody who is an authority in there will have to sign off on your on, on that affidavit. We need to bring in that affidavit. We need to bring in the proof of income. We need to bring in your, your copy of your South African ID to, to qualify, or even your SOFA card if you are a, a grant uh, a recipient. Mm-hmm. Those are the four documents, and then you get to fill in a, you get assisted in filling up the, that application form, and then uh, it gets captured, and you get, not, get notified immediately uh, with a kind of a slip to tell you that you have applied, your application has been successfully captured, mm-hmm. and then you provide the letter status to when which is going to happen. All right. Now that we've spoken of switch-offs, I, I can tell you now that somebody was listening and was probably wondering, when will the switch-off happen in my area? What's what's your province-to-province province schedule going forward, especially now that you are looking forward to that deadline, that March uh, 2022 deadline? What's next? I know that your Northern Cape is on the radar, Northwest is on the radar. Um, the Free State was one of your first provinces, especially, uh, well, now, leaving Bloemfontein. As, as a metro, but you had that uh, penultimate uh, switch-off that happened in Bethlehem earlier in the year. Uh, where to from here? So, the, just to give the order of the provinces, it's the Free State, Northern Cape, Northwest, Limpopo, Mpumalanga, Eastern Cape, Wazulu Natal, Western Cape, and finally Gauteng in that order. That is the provincial order. Mm-hmm. What we have done, we have targeted the switch-off schedules. You know, there's, there's an overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you know your typical project, your, your typical project chart, you find that activities uh, overlap. So when we switch off in this one, uh, the final transmitter in this one province, at the same time, maybe the work had already begun prior to that in other provinces and so on. And so. so you find that the actual final dates do get to overlap. But just to give some sense is that um, by the plan is that by the by the end of July, they're about we should be done. Um, and finished with the, the, the Northern Cape, uh, Northwest, and Northwest, and and, and the Mpopo follow shortly thereafter, leaving just the, the metro side, uh, and then followed then by Mpumalanga in that order. So you find that the schedules overlap from any, anything from July onwards to towards the towards December. But I must just maybe hasten to mention the fact that we leave out the big metro sites, you know, uh, sites like. Uh, if you look in the Western Cape, for example, sites that are located in the, the closer to, to Cape, that are mm-hmm. in Cape Town. If you look in, in, in Guadalupe, for example, the site, there is a specific site sitting in Durban, which covers a, a large number of people. There's a, there are two, maybe three sites in the Eastern Cape, in East London and in Graveja. There's also, uh, if you look at Malang, for example, there's, there's a site sitting in um, the capital and so on and so on. So those big sites, because they cover a number of uh, huge concentration of populations, we want to minimize the disruption in terms of uh, reaction from the public in there. So we do the work, all the installation work in the background, but then we have plans to reach all of those in the period between December and March, December 2021 to March 2022, uh, in, 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 different, in different schedules. Uh, you know, if you look at Gauteng, for example, Gauteng has got um, two, probably three, sites that have the biggest concentration, the Joburg mm-hmm. site, which is the Pixin Tower, the Pretoria site, and the um, there's another site called Lin Mayer, for example, which have big concentrations. Those are scheduled for further down in the chain, 
anything, they'll be switched off in March. But the other, the other sites will be switched off just prior to that, for example. You know? So there's, no, there's, that, there's that stagger in terms, of, um, in terms of that. But be that all as it may, um, uh, the, the, the final date becomes, uh, the last site becomes March 2022, if you take that project plan into, into, into consideration. Mm. We've also been hearing quite a lot about uh, the voucher system. One definitely would want to know which provinces accept uh, the vouchers uh, for STBs. So maybe just to give some a bit of uh, clarity or maybe context how the voucher thing fits into the picture. The, 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 first, the first five provinces that are spoken to, the Free State, Northern Cape, Northwest, Limpopo, and Pumalanga, there, there, was, there was some time back, around 2016-2017, there was a tender that was uh, uh, issued to, uh, uh, to local manufacturers to produce these uh, local STBs uh, to decoders. And we, out of that procurement, we got 1.5 million set, uh, 1.5 million kits. That mm-hmm. is, those are the things that are currently being depleted, being, being installed in those, in those five provinces. Maybe the viewers want to or the listeners want to know how are we installing those, or where are we getting those from. Mm-hmm. So they, they originated from that, from that point. So what we are doing is that once, once we have cleared all of those, the remainder of the provinces, um, to answer your question, is the Eastern Cape, Wazul Natal, Western Cape, and Houghton, that will service predominantly, I'm not saying exclusively, predominantly, via the voucher uh, system. So what the voucher system entails then is that um, the retailers, the shops, and the post office outlets in the other areas will carry the decoder stock and the household just works in with a qualifying voucher and it gets, it gets um, redeemed for, for those uh, decoder STB kits to be then installed. Mm. So those provinces in Eastern Cape, Kwazulu-Natal, Western Cape, and Houghton predominantly for the voucher fees. All right. Well, wonder before we let you uh, let you go, is there perhaps uh, a toll-free number or a hotline number that people could call? Uh, you know, for those questions uh, that I mentioned earlier, my set-top box is not working. Uh, my picture quality is now compromised. I'm not getting signal. Where, where do they reach the department in order to have those questions answered? There is a, a Centec call center that we currently use. Remember, uh, Centec is is our um, uh, implementing agent in terms mm-hmm. of the, uh, the installations as well as actually hosting our call center. The predominant point of entry is uh, WhatsApp. There's a WhatsApp line. Yeah, it's, it's 072-196-8368. That is the WhatsApp line. 072-196-8368. All right. Alternatively, alternatively, there is a, a share call number which we really encourage applicants to inquire through the WhatsApp line or via other, other data support lines. But if you don't if you want to want to, have to to talk to an agent, there's a share call number at oh eight six zero seven three six eight three two. All right. And then the lastly, then the email line is support. Mm-hmm. Centec, S-E-N-T-E-C-H, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, 82 analog transmitters have been switched off. What are you doing this week, particularly this month? Because March 2022 is around the corner. Um, surely you will clock 100 soon. Yes, we, we, in fact, we, we, are, uh, we want to put uh, 100 as our, as our, first, our first milestone. In, um, we are now, to, for this week, we are targeting five more transmitters spread across Northern Cape, Northwest, Limpopo, as well as Mpumalanga. Mm-hmm. That's our target for this week. So it's five more. 
to add to the already 82 that is in place. And then, and from Mexico onwards, in fact, um, there are also some others that are being potentially looked at to add to these five before the end of this week, but we're just making the assessment right to make sure about that. So by the end of this week, at the least, we would have switched off 82 plus five gives us, what, 87 sides at the end of this week, uh, at the bare minimum. And then we are then aiming for that uh, milestone of 100 transmitters before the, the end of July. Mm-hmm. This is the current outlook. All right. Uh, Wanda, thank you so much uh, for your time. We're definitely looking forward to uh, seeing those milestones. And of course, just to see the country transition into um, a digital and fully migrated uh, by March 2022. And of course, wishing the department the best of luck with its entities. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I wish that all the listeners can go and tell others, tell Abanye, that must go and register. Yes. And so that we spread the message as wide as, as, as possible. And the tagline is Shinja Ungasali, right? Shinja Ungasali, that is correct. <laughs> there you have him. His name is Wanda Langamanda, uh, Chief Director of Technologies in the DTTPMO under the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, giving us an update of what is happening as far as the digital migration program is consent in the country. Digital migration. Shinja. And that's how we wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us again next time and do drop us a tweet or two at comsza. We'd love to hear from you. Till next time, God bless and goodbye.